Okay, three, three main points I want to make today. The first is context. You know, who is Jesus basically addressing this parable to and why that matters? Um, and then a bit of a rumination about how we see salvation, who gets in and who doesn't. And then this guy who got kicked out. What does that mean? All right. So we begin it with Jesus is addressing this to the chief priests and elders. They, the chief priests and elders, thought of themselves as the good ones. We're the good ones. We're the ones who get it. We're the ones who understand everything. We're the ones who are, you know, getting in, as it were, um, etc. And everybody else are the bad ones. They're the bad ones. They don't know what they're doing. They don't. We got to keep them in line. Right? And Jesus is, was always so critical of that priestly class, particularly, about that arrogance that you know, they had, that they were right, they were good, they were the righteous, and everybody else had to be sort of you know, beaten down with dogma and, and all the rest. So then he addresses this parable basically about who gets in and who doesn't get in. Right? So the, the father, the king, is throwing a a wedding feast for his son, Jesus, and all of the good people were invited. So that would be the chief priests and the elders and, of course, the Pharisees and all the rest. All the good people were invited. They were the first on on the list of invitees. They're the ones who should have been invited. Even the bad people would have said, well, yeah, they should be invited. And, of course, they themselves, yeah, I should be invited. They were those people. And uh, so the invitation goes out, and they just couldn't be bothered. I'm busy. I have stuff to do. I'm good. I don't need to go. And he sends, sends out his servants again, and they mistreat his servants and even kill some of them. And this is a representation of the prophets who were sent out by God to proclaim his word to the people. And they were mistreated, and some of them, they were, you know, they were killed. So then the king is enraged, and he basically kills all the good people, like they're done, right? They get punishment, which should tell us something about which group we want to be in. Because then he sends his servants out, and he says, you know what? Those people who were the good people, they weren't worthy to come. So just go out and get anybody. Anybody who wants to come gets to come. And so they did. They went out. And we're told the bad and the good alike came. The bad and the good alike came. They were all invited, every single one of them. And so this hits at the the way that we view salvation, who gets in and who gets out. Many people have a Santa Claus theology, right? There's a naughty list and there's a nice list, not just at Christmas, but also in eternity. This is not the Catholic view, not at all. In fact, it hasn't been the Catholic view since almost the beginning, really, when it was worked out. That our actions or our good works do not earn salvation. Salvation cannot be earned. It is a gift that is given. Just like this feast, that's the point. You're invited to the feast. You're invited to salvation. You just have to show up. You just have to say, yes, I want to go. And you get in. So who gets saved? The people who want to be saved. Who isn't saved? The people who don't want to be saved. But there's not a calculus of 
sort of good works and bad works, that's actually a heresy. Church doesn't teach that. It's all about invitation. You know, I make a big deal about you showing up on Sunday. That's a big deal for me. What does Father John want us to do as Catholics? Go to Mass. Show up. Because that's what salvation is. Showing up. Not being too busy, right? It's, it's very much a, an image of what salvation is. Just showing up, being here. Making that effort. And the good and the bad alike. Because I know there's plenty of you who are just terrible people. Thank you for laughing. Of course, that's a joke. There's plenty of you who think you're terrible people. There's plenty of you who think you don't fit and that you don't belong. And I don't judge you. I can't judge. We don't judge. That's not our job. Maybe you are kind of a bad Catholic. I don't know. Maybe you've been up and down throughout the entirety of your life. Maybe you don't feel like you fit. I don't, I don't know. But here, I am here to tell you, you belong. Because this comes from Jesus Christ himself. You belong here. Because he desi- I desire it too. I love having a church of bad Catholics. I think it's fantastic. You might think, well, what in the world is that about? Here's the thing. We all know we don't always do the best we can. When we look back in our lives, we see, we see good moments and we also see failure. We see good actions, we see bad actions. We know, if we're honest with ourselves, that we're, you know, this, this conglomeration of, of goodness and sometimes badness and, you know, lacking of goodness, etc. as far as actions go. And so if we're really honest with ourselves, and I am very much including myself in this, absolutely, we can look back on our lives and say, you know, I don't really deserve salvation. I don't really deserve what the Lord is giving me. And that's the point. That is the point. And if a person is in a different space where they say, well, actually, I do deserve it. I'm one of the good ones. They are in serious danger spiritually. And so when I, you know, joke about bad Catholics and we're all kind of bad Catholics, I mean, you understand what I'm trying to get at there is that if we're just honest with ourselves, we understand that sometimes we fail. Sometimes we sin. Sometimes we're not the kind of father we should be or the kind of husband or wife or mother or child or priest. We're not the people we'd like to be all the time or want to be all the time. Sometimes we just choose other. And if we're honest about that, what does that do? If we're really honest about who we are and look deep inside, what does that do? It creates this openness, this space for divine healing. And that's what Jesus has come to do. I have come for those in need of a physician. The sick need him. The well don't. They don't need him because they don't think there's anything wrong. And this is why I keep going back to the point. We have to recognize that in every single one of our lives, there's something wrong. There's something missing. And what's missing is grace and salvation and Jesus Christ. And when we can open up and just be honest, there's a freedom in that. There's strength in that to be able to be honest about who we are and say, okay, I need to do better. I can do better. What do I need? I need Jesus Christ. I need his grace.
So what about this guy who got tossed? If everybody was invited, the good and the bad, why did he get tossed? It says he didn't wear a wedding garment. Back in the olden days, this is for the Gen Zers and the rest. Back in the olden days when uh, those of us used phones with rotary dials and had to go to a, a video store to get a movie and it came on a tape that you had to rewind. Back in the olden days, um, you know, there was more of a, uh, this, this kind of concept of Sunday best, you know, so people would, we, we had a lot of things attached to how you dressed, you know, different, different things. And, and I remember uh, growing up, that was one of the things in the Midwest. And we moved out here and I remember the first mass we, we came here, I was in seventh grade, and I was saying to my mom, so we can wear shorts to mass? <laughs> She's like, no, you will not, you know. It took a while for that barrier to break down. You know, out here it's a little more casual, but I think we still have a social convention that when you go to a wedding, you, you dress up. If you didn't know that, this is really good information for you. <laughs> you go to a wedding, you, you kind of, you know, I mean, unless it's like a themed wedding or something like that, but, you know, basically you dress up. So this guy shows up to the wedding without his wedding garment. What could that mean? Well, it, I don't think it can mean that he had to have a certain amount of virtue or something because we're told the bad and the good came. I think what he didn't have was a true acknowledgement of what he lacked and what he needed. In other words, he did not have repentance. So he showed up and he didn't recognize that what he was being invited to was this great gift of salvation that he did not merit. He wasn't worthy of it. Now, worthiness, right? And you're thinking, well, how does that work? Well, ultimately, yes, salvation is a gift given and received, and so we do say yes to it, but we also have to acknowledge our sinfulness. I mean, that's clear even scripturally, right? The John the Baptist is sent first, and then the Savior. Acknowledgement of sinfulness and repentance opens the way to receive the gift. So this man didn't have the repentance. So out he goes. Now, from the earliest times of the church, we believed in purgatory. From the earliest times, we have archaeological evidence from the first century, we have writings from the first century, and every single Christian for 1,500 years believed in purgatory and praying for the dead. They all did. Because we believe that, you know, salvation, because everybody in purgatory goes to heaven, so salvation may be given even late in life, right? Somebody just lived a terrible life, and at the end, they, the light clicked on, and God will take you. He'll take you. But I think we always understood that even though he'll take you, you might need a bath. <laughs> you might need a little, you know, spritzing up. There might need to be something done to, to sort of make you ready and look right so that you'll fit in to heaven. And this is work that God does. It's not work we do. It's work that God does. And so... From the earliest times, this is why we, we believe in purgatory, because we believe that, yeah, everybody who wants to gets in, but yeah, just there's sort of divine justice that probably somebody needs a little spritzing up. 
and that's purgatory, which as C.S. Lewis, a Protestant notes, as he's, he's talking about the possibility of purgatory, happens in an instant because in eternity there is no linear time. So in eternity, everything happens at once. And so he, I think he compares it to having a tooth pulled out. You know, just boom, it's out. But still, there's a purgative element of God making us right so that we fit into eternity. So who gets in? Everybody who wants to. If you want to get in, you're going. What does it necessitate? That desire, but also repentance, right? Being radically honest about ourselves and just being open with that allows for divine healing and medicine to move us along, to make us better mothers and fathers and children and priests and deacons and all the rest. And that's what we want because God loves us. And one of the primary acts of lovingness is seeking the approvement of the one we love. Please stand.